Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Ion Travel with Peter Greenberg, that's me, ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. June's Journey is a fascinating hidden object mystery gaming app where you'll play as June Parker, tasked with a daunting obligation, solve your sister's murder. Set in the 1920s, the era of glitz and glam, this family mystery is one for the ages. Everyone's a suspect until your investigation determines otherwise. The clues are all around you, hidden within tricky twists and turns. You'll collect detailed information about each character in your photo album where you'll comb over every detail. You can even join a detective's club to chat and play with others or against them in the detective's league. With hundreds of puzzles to solve, you should probably get started today. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. When you're an American Express Platinum card member, don't be surprised if you say things like, Chef, what course are we on? I've, I've lost count. Or, shoot that, shoot that! And even, Checkout's not until 4, so... Because the American Express Platinum card offers access to exclusive reservations at renowned restaurants, elevated experiences at live events, and 4 p.m. late checkout at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. That's the powerful backing of American Express. See how to elevate your experiences at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Terms apply. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits. Business and swim. You know with your Delta Sky Miles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta Sky Miles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amex slash you know business. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. This episode of Travel Today with Peter Greenberg is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. It's time for Peter Greenberg Worldwide with America's number one travel news journalist. And now, the man who travels over 400,000 miles each year, your travel detective, Peter Greenberg. Hi, everybody. Peter Greenberg here, and welcome to the podcast that's done from a different location around the world every single week. One day Canada, the next day Thailand, then New York, London. You just never know. This week we come to you from Orlando, the Waldorf Astoria in Bonnet Creek. If there's a handbook that you need if you're coming down to Orlando, and I'm presuming you're at least thinking about stopping at either Universal Studios 
or Walt Disney World, then my next guess might be the place to stop. Uh, Seth Kaberski is the author of The Unofficial Guide to Universal Orlando 2017. Always good to have the, the year right. And, uh, and he's also a contributor to that other book, The Unofficial Guide to Walt Disney World. Seth, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Peter. It's I a mean, pleasure. You do need a guidebook to these places because it's not enough just to buy a ticket and go in because, you, first of all, you may not find what you need to find. You may have to stay on the wrong line. You may, you may not get to where you want to go, or you may miss out entirely on some of the back-of-the-house stuff that no one's going to tell you. Yeah, the theme parks have become uh, incredibly complex. Um, it's a, a machinery with a lot of moving parts, those resorts, especially Walt Disney World. The days of being able to just show up whenever you want to show up, buy a ticket, and walk onto the ride that you want to see are kind of gone. Uh, there are attractions at Walt Disney World that you have to reserve your time 30 to 60 days out. Now, do you personally Whoa, know... Whoa, stop. Whoa. Like what? <laughs> well, um, this new uh, Pandora Land that just opened, the signature ride there has been posting waits of about 300 minutes. Um, so unless you enjoy <laughs> spending Man. 300 minutes waiting in a line, you're going to want one of those fast pass reservations. And but, those go a month in advance. Okay. Let me be devil's advocate here. In a world in which theme parks like Disney and, and, and Universal pride themselves in the work of human engineering mm-hmm. and traffic flow, how do you get to a wait of 300 mm-hmm. minutes? Um, even the best engineered uh, attraction uh, popularity can exceed capacity. Have and you taken the ride? I have been on it, and I will say that the new... Was uh, the wait worth it, Seth? Well, luckily, I got to go for a preview, and I was able to ride it twice back-to-back uh, with no waiting whatsoever, uh, which was a wonderful experience. And as I was walking through the empty queue, I said to myself, remember this, because you will never see this again <laughs> as long as you live. Um, I don't personally think that anything is worth 300-minute wait in line. All right, now I'll tell you something. Whenever I had a chance to do a preview, I, just like you, um, went over to Universal and did one ride there that I thought was like so cool. I went back again. I'm, I'm an idiot. Right? Spider-Man. I Spider- thought, Spider-Man I thought, is almost 20 years old. Now, yeah. Islands of Adventure just celebrated its 18th birthday uh, this week, past weekend. Thank you for making and, me feel like I'm going to a home. <laughs> and really, Spider-Man has not been topped anywhere. There's other rides that are just Well, the Tower of it. Terror. Tower of Terror is uh, also a fantastic ride. I have to tell you something. It did terrorize me. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. And then I couldn't wait. I'm an idiot. Again. It terrorized me, and then I couldn't wait to do it again. But I couldn't wait to do it again with somebody who hadn't done it, so I could watch them be terrorized. There's nothing like watching the look on the faces of someone who's uh, never been on an attraction before and, and watching their mind be blown. For those of you who have, who have taken the ride, you'll understand me when I say, when the door opens up and somebody goes, you're still here? <laughs> <laughs> then something happens to you, right? Sure. Um, yeah, yeah Tara Terror is, is probably the... Um, the best big ride that Disney built up until this new Pandora just opened. Uh, and of course, over week. at Universal, talk about lines, at least when I saw it open, of course, Harry Potter. Oh, sure. I mean, the day that uh, the first Harry Potter opened back in 2010, I remember that line of people went out the front gate of the park and around the entire city walk and out to the parking garage. Um, and that was just to get through the merchandising park. <laughs> <laughs> that, was just a, that was just a shop for a wand. Um, you know, uh, Universal... Uh, did learn their lessons. Um, I don't think they realized just how big a deal it would be when Harry Potter first opened here in 2010. When Diagon Alley rolled around in 2014, they were much better prepared. Um, but now, right now, they're um, they're back at it again with Volcano Bay, and they're having uh, a few little bugs. Um, 
and uh, hopefully that's getting sorted out. Hello? I have a feeling we're not in Kansas anymore. Speaking to Seth Kaberski, the author of The Unofficial Guide to Universal, 2017. And, of course, he's also worked on the similar book, the, the companion book, if you will, on The Unofficial Guide to Walt Disney World. Seth, what, is there merit to, to taking that advice of, like, the early bird arrivals? Um, I cannot stress more that if there is one tip you take out of our books, it's show up early, show up early, show up early. Um, the number of rides at any of these parks that you can do in the first hour that the park is open is equal to the number of rides you'll get done in the next four hours. Whoops. Uh, okay, so that's the first question. Second question is, people are saying, oh, should I stay on the, on the property? Should I stay at Walt Disney World or in one of the hotels at Universal? I said, you can, but I don't want you to also limit your opportunities. I mean, there's no problem staying you know, at the Ritz-Carlton or at the, at the Waldorf Astoria or any mm-hmm. other hotels. There's so many hotels outside the actual boundaries of the parks mm-hmm. that will not disenfranchise you no absolutely not um walt disney does have some really great hotels on property but um on a uh price quality basis um you can get more for your money staying at a non-disney owned hotel there are some nice peaks uh, perks that come with staying on site at disney most importantly being the uh, extra magic hours where you can come to the park an hour early or stay a couple hours later however Disney has so many people that stay on their property and take advantage of that that it can almost uh, be just as crowded. Be, yes, it can, it can almost be worse than the uh, regular times. Oh, I will a, say okay. for Universal, though, um, I strongly recommend staying on site at Universal. Um, Lowe's Hotels operates their hotels, and Lowe's does a fantastic job. They mostly do boutique hotels around the world. Oh, uh, so, is there, forgetting the time of the day, mm-hmm. is there a day of the week? Uh, you know, there used to be a lot of... Uh, Wednesday? A conventional wisdom. This day is the best to go. This tar- that It changes from week to week. It changes from month to month. Um, there is no simple rule of thumb of which day of the week is best to go to a park. The best way of knowing which day of your vacation is the best to go to any particular park, uh, and this is a shameless plug, is uh, the website touringplans.com which is a website associated with my book. And we maintain a thing called the crowd calendar, where we use statistical analysis to go back over the last decade of attendance patterns. And uh, we can do a pretty good job of telling you which day will be busier at any given park. But the the sad truth is that there are no more slow times. Um, I got one for you. Mm -hmm. I got one for you. Okay. And you can tell me, you can debunk this. Yeah. Somebody said to me, when's the best time to go to Disney World or to Universal? And I say, the week after Thanksgiving and, and right after the kids go back to school. Yeah, yeah. there is a small little window uh, between Thanksgiving and Christmas. Um, where the most first kids, 10 days. Yeah, where most kids who are in school are, are taking their end-of-semester tests. Um, that is a, a good time. However, 10 years ago, you could go to the parks on one of those days and have the whole place to yourself. Now the word has gotten out. Um, <laughs> Guys and, like me, yeah. And more importantly, the parks have done a much better job from their perspective of managing their labor. So when they think that a park is going to be less crowded, they cut back on staffing. So your experience in terms of the length of time you'll wait uh, you know, for service will 
probably be about the same. Um, it's, it's great from their end uh, to balance out their staffing needs. It's not as great from the guest point of view. Okay, now let's talk back of the house. Mm-hmm. Are there tours that you can take that are not in the brochure, not in the guidebooks, where you can actually get behind the scenes and see how the sausage gets made? Well, over at Disney, they do have some official walking tours. Um, there is even one that will But get... I'm talking about back of the house. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. well, Disney does have um, uh, a Keys to the Kingdom tour that will take you into those infamous utilidors. Um, it, a lot of people don't know that the uh, Magic Kingdom, when you're walking around the Magic Kingdom, you're actually walking on the second floor of a giant building. And underneath your feet is a, a network, a maze of uh, tunnels where all of the back of house stuff happens. And there is a tour. It is not cheap, but there is a tour that Disney will take you on. Okay, you say it's not will, cheap. What are we talking about? I believe it's a few hundred dollars per person for a one-day tour. It is a nice tour. Um, if you would like a uh, glimpse of that without shelling out the money, there's a fun little documentary that's available on the web called uh, The Dark Side of Disney. Um, <laughs> and uh, this is a documentary about Is this people. Mickey getting spanked? Well, there, there's all sorts of uh, naughty, un-Disney-like un- activity in that movie. But the, the interesting part is um, some friends of mine who uh, made a habit of going into unauthorized places and taking their video camera there. So if you want to see what the places Disney doesn't want you to see look like, uh, Dark Side of Disney is a, a good documentary to look but into. But the tour that you actually do back in the house when you're underneath in those, those tunnels and stuff, mm-hmm. it's pretty cool. Yeah, well, it's cool, but it does look a little bit like a, uh, a middle school. Um, <laughs> it's not very glamorous down there. Um, but that's okay. If you understand the process, that's when you can appreciate the product. Sure, sure. And um, over at Universal, there's a couple of unauthorized free tours uh, most people don't know about. Um, the Men in Black ride and the Revenge of the Mummy ride both have secret tours. My baby beside me at the wheel, and playing the radio. With no particular place to go. Talk about a great title for a book. I'm going to give you the entire title. Oh, Florida, How America's Weirdest State Influences the Rest of the Country. Craig Pittman, welcome to the show. But I always thought the answer was California as the weirdest state. How did Florida get that title? Well, uh, we, uh, uh, we earned it, definitely. <laughs> we earned it. Uh, I think you saw the tide kind of turn around the time of the 2000 election debacle. Right. Uh, which the hanging chads. Yeah, no, guaranteed nobody would ever name their child Chad in uh, Florida again. Um, uh, and since the following year, we got our own tag on the uh, satirical uh, FARC.com website, and we are still the only state that has that that uh, somewhat dubious honor. So uh, I think Florida surpassed California around then, and we've just been going ever since. Of course, here we are in the theme park capital of the universe, Orlando. And yet, what you're saying in your book is that it doesn't necessarily have to be a theme park destination. No, absolutely not. Um, uh, Florida has uh, an award-winning state park system, for instance. Uh, It's won three national awards. No other state park system has that honor. And uh, it offers a wide range of experiences from uh, the beautiful uh, 40-foot-high dunes at Topsail Hill up in the north end of the state to the depths of the Devil's Mill Hopper just outside Gainesville. I mean, it's just all kinds of things you can see. There's even uh, John Pennekamp State Park, which is a park that's entirely underwater uh, for your, your diving and snorkeling fans. And that, by the way, that was done by design. 
Yes, <laughs> yes. That's not a climate change thing. That was already like that. <laughs> now, the the thing that I see in Florida, we're talking about the entire state. It's all the roadside stands too. Oh yes, oh yes, yeah. Um, uh, we've got uh, you know we got the traditional southern uh, uh, you know roadside stand selling uh, uh, hot boiled peanuts, but we also got some of the traditional old Florida uh, uh, sort of sideshow kind of uh, attractions along the road as well. Uh, one of them that I always like to mention is uh, Dinosaur World uh, off of Interstate 4 there uh, in, the, in that sort of theme park area, uh, which used to have 150 dinosaurs, fake dinosaurs, and now has 149 because somebody stole one. We don't know how or why. Uh, <laughs> but it answers to the name of Rex, so, you know, keep an eye out for it. You didn't mention Gator World. Well, there's Gator. I mean, there's lots of them. There's, you know, Gatorland. Uh, the, probably the, my, my other favorite one is Wikiwachi Springs which was a classic Florida roadside attraction uh, featuring these women who would pull on uh, these 60-pound prosthetic mermaid tails and swim around and put on a mermaid show in the spring for, uh, you know, for, for people to see. And the business started to, um, <clears throat> pardon the pun, tail off. Uh, and so the state stepped in and bought the place and turned it into a state park. So the, 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 Florida is now the only state where the list of government jobs includes mermaid. Uh, which has led to some interesting conversations about the use of tax dollars for uh, the for the purchase of uh, waterproof lipstick and shell bras. <laughs> yes, we'll page Daryl Hannah when this is over. Yes. Um, for those people who remember that, uh, <laughs> you also call Florida the, the lightning capital. Yes, we we get uh, more lightning than anywhere else in the Western Hemisphere. Uh, we get uh, we have more shark bites than anywhere else in the world. We're the shark bite capital of the world. <clears throat> We've got more sinkholes than any other state uh, and uh, more hurricanes making landfall here. Uh, and, of course, we are more vulnerable to climate change than most other states because we're so flat and we're surrounded by water. Uh, and yet, in spite of that, we, you know, we call ourselves paradise and we tell people, come on down. <laughs> we're talking to Craig Pittman, the author of Oh, Florida, How America's Weirdest State Influences the Rest of the Country. One thing you do not have in Florida, at least the last time I looked, Mountains. No, we do not have mountains in Florida. We actually have the distinction of having the lowest high point of any state <laughs> in, in, in America. We, this state is so flat that even our high point is considered pretty low. Uh, but what we do have, and what I like to think of is, is our version of the Purple Mountains Majesty is our, our clouds, our sky. You know, in a land this flat, the sky occupies a tremendous amount of your, your horizon. And uh, because we're a peninsula with so much uh, uh, water vapor floating around us, we've got some really fascinating cloud formations and some absolutely gorgeous sunrises and sunsets as a result. Of course, that's also the reason why, even though we call ourselves the Sunshine State, most of our cities get more rain than Seattle does. And what a lot of people don't realize about the, the entire state of Florida, especially if you head north, you're in cowboy country. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, um it, not just north. I mean, the north end of the state, it tends to be more southern than the southern end of the state does. But there are, <laughs> there are areas in, the, in central Florida that are still, you know, considered cowboy uh, areas. Uh, Kissimmee, for instance, uh, Davie, they have their own uh, Arcadia. They have their own rodeo arenas. Uh, and, in fact, one of our state wildlife commissioners is actually a rodeo champion who has a, a rodeo arena named after him. And he also got in trouble for wrestling an alligator illegally. So. <laughs> When you say wrestling an alligator illegally, is there such a thing as wrestling an alligator legally? Oh, yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, that used to be a staple of the uh, uh, Seminole Indian villages. That, you know, you'd stop by and you'd see all the various uh, arts and crafts for sale, and you'd always watch a show where 
some uh, young Seminole would come out and rustle an alligator for the crowd. Uh, but the Seminoles have made so much money on their uh, gambling casinos that now it's hard to find young Seminoles who are willing to do that. And so uh, not too long ago, one of the Seminole villages was actually advertising for outsiders to come in and and take their places as, as the uh, alligator wrestlers. It's sort of a dying art. Of course, what they didn't tell you is that all the alligators now are dealers. <laughs> the charge for looking at this pamphlet is $3. The charge for looking at this pamphlet and putting it back quickly is four dollars. Over the seas and all the grease to anywhere I please. Oh, I want to get away. Now I've been coming to Orlando since the seventies, and some might argue Orlando's only been coming to Orlando since the seventies, but we'll get to that later. And when I first came here. People were talking about, oh, you want to go to this great restaurant in Old Town. I said, how far back does Old Town go? They said, oh, like 1958. I said, wow. So there's an interesting relative moment to the definition of the word history here. And then if you're not careful, you know, it is true because Americans have a certain comfort level when they travel. Every, Every imaginable fast food franchise you could think of is here and everywhere in Orlando. And yet... Orlando has evolved, uh, and, and quite remarkably and quite happily, into quite a food scene. And joining me now, who's the uh, the food critic and the restaurant critic of Orlando Weekly, is Fios Cara. How are you, sir? Very good. How are you? Well, you, you heard my intro here. Uh, I mean, in the old days, it was, you know, Arby's and Wendy's and, you know, not a whole lot of, of, of stuff. And now there's a great Lebanese place. There's, there are French places. There's great sushi. I mean, Disney for years had the worst food ever. And then they got smart at the roof of the Contemporary Resort. Mm-hmm. They built what? They built the uh, California Grill. Which was, it's actually great. I mean, you know, you never used to say Disney food and great in the same sentence. But they did a good job. Yeah, I mean, they had a real concerted effort in the mid to late 90s, I would say, yeah. to really elevate the city's food And by scene. the way, they had nowhere to go but up. Right. I mean, let's be real. <laughs> yeah. When I, I remember when I moved here in 99, I saw it as a bit of a, a cultural and culinary wasteland because, as you were saying, it was very homogenous in terms of its, uh, uh, you know, the uh, chain restaurants everywhere. Um, but I would say in the last five years, we've seen a real, as you said, a, a real evolution in, in the, a maturation even uh, of, of the city's food scene. It's been sort of incredible. I, I don't think I would have ever predicted it uh, after moving here in 99 and seeing what we, you know, you know the choices that we had. But uh, it, it has been nothing short of incredible, really. So what have been the big surprises for you? The big surprises is the diversity of options. You know, I, I grew up in Toronto, and I. Um, By the way, if you grew up in Toronto, this is this is wild, and you're not you weren't expecting me to tell you this, but I discovered in the days where I used to eat meat, and I used to eat meat a lot. I haven't had meat now in nine years, but but in the days that I did, the best steakhouse in North America was in Toronto, but it wasn't what you would think. It was actually a Chinese restaurant on Eglinton called the House of Chan. No way. <laughs> yeah. I mean, unbelievable. nobody went there for the egg roll. You went there for the steaks. And it was just amazing. So there's always those kinds of surprises. When was that? 
oh, they, oh God, that started 20 years ago mm-hmm. until they lost their lease about four years ago okay. and had to move. And they've just reopened. I just heard the other day they're actually back. Now, of course, I'm not eating meat anymore, but I'm telling you, you want a great ribeye, you go to that, you know, this Chinese restaurant the called House of Chan. House of Chan. I'm going to check it out next time I go. In Toronto, yeah. Yeah, and if you're, if you're not eating meat anymore, there is a great restaurant that's open downtown called Sanctum Cafe. And they, they've taken vegan, vegetarian food and, you know, elevated it. Well, by the way, I'm sorry, folks, if, if I'm insulting you, but vegan food insults me. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's it, and by the way, did you, okay, now I'm going to get people mad now, but I'm going to say it anyway. You walk into a vegan restaurant, you ever notice that people talk there like escaped librarians? <laughs> they're all like, would you like the kale? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, they're like the people from the pods, you know, they're, they're, I mean, it's like, it's like, why are they whispering? Yeah. You know, it's sort of like, we have special tofu. Thank you. We're going to add fuel to the fire because I, I always thought they weren't the most healthiest looking folks around. They either, looked but. a little pale. <laughs> a little they pale. looked a little pale. I get it. I totally support the idea, but you're not going to find me. There's this vegan restaurant that a friend of mine took me to in New York. It was painful for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, here's our vegan bacon. It's like, what? You know, no. Either get, look, you either get the high test or you don't get it at all. Okay. Don't, you know, okay, so let's, we'll get the vegan later, all right? Fias, <laughs> don't go there. Okay. Although we just went there. We just went there. I know. It'll but, be edited but out. Tell me the surprises. No, it will not be edited out. It's all in. <laughs> well, I was talking about the diversity of options. You know, I, you know, when I, like I said, when I moved here, uh, everything was very homogenous, very, very one dimensional, very chain heavy. And then all of a sudden I'm eating really good, you know, South Indian fare. I'm eating incredible Vietnamese, Vietnamese uh, cuisine. Um, I'm eating like as you were, you were just talking about, you know, this, you know, like French food. Um, we've seen Dovecote Brasserie and Urban Forty. You know, so we're seeing such, you know, such diversity. And it's not a one-dimensional diversity either. Like, you know, when people talk about Miami being very cosmopolitan and, and, and diverse. But, you know, I've always kind of viewed Miami as sort of being... Almost like a one-dimensional you diversity. Just, you just said you know? Miami. I did, but we're talking Orlando. We are talking Orlando. So just in, just comparing, you know, Orlando and Miami, I see our our options as being truly diverse. I can go and get really good Trinidadian roti, you know, and I can get just as good, you know, modern American fare from a celebrity chef. I mean, for a city this size, we're very very versatile, and I can't think of any other city that can lay claim to that. You know, to that to that accolade. I got one. Mm-hmm. New York. Come on. Yeah, but of, of similar of size. size. Okay, yeah. good. Okay. Yeah, I mean, we have all the celebrity restaurants, celebrity chef restaurants, and then we have really good chef-driven independent restaurants. You know, all, all our James Beard-nominated chefs, you know, are aren't really in the tourist sector here. They're in. They're in the community. They're in the community. They're in downtown Orlando. They're in the, the little neighborhoods surrounding downtown. They're in Winter Park. You know. Where are the wagons? The wagon is too slow. Can't you ride? It's not that he can't ride. How is it you put it home? They're dangerous at both ends and crafty in the middle. Why would I want anything with a mind of its own bobbing about between my legs? Audible.com has more than 150,000 titles and virtually every genre. So check it out for yourself. Sign up today at www.audiblepodcast.com slash travel today to get a free audiobook and 30-day trial. You mentioned all the diversity here. 
um, which wasn't here before. I, I, I found a great Lebanese place. Oh, yeah. Um, and they even have the hookah. They, What's, what, what, what Lebanese place? It's, um, I knew you were going to tell me, a cedar tree. Cedar, uh, c- cedar tree or cedar? Cedar. Cedar, yeah. yeah. Cedar's, cedar's on Dr. Phillips. Yeah, it's just a small little place, but you know, you go in there, they got the hookup pipes, and you go in there and you have all the meza. Mm-hmm. It's like, Orlando, really? And yeah, the answer is really. Yeah. But you mentioned Trinidadian. I did mention Trinidad, but just before I get to that, another Lebanese, Lebanese yeah. place, Mariah Restaurant, I swear it's got the best falafel I've ever had. And I've been around. You're a falafel guy. I wouldn't say I'm a falafel guy, but... I do love my falafel. Um, but back to Trinidadian food. Yeah. yeah, there's a place called Singh's Roti Shop. It's on, uh, it's not in, in the, I guess we can call it the uh, uh, less gentrified um, area of, of the city, to put it, uh, you know, politely. And, um, but it serves, Trinidadian fare is a little different than Jamaican fare. It's got more, Less jerk, say, less jerk. Less jerk and a little bit more of the Indian influence. Um, so their, their roti uh, They'll they'll stuff it with their roti is a little more puffier, less. Uh, it's got less of this uh, dal, which is uh, you know a, a bean of sorts. It's a dried, uh, crumbly. But anyway, uh, it's it's a very puffy roti, and they fill it with you know all types of curries. Be it uh, you know you being a non meat eater, you'd really like the the chana masala, which is chickpeas, garbanzo beans in this very heady curry, spicy. We put the scotch bonnet peppers in there it's uh, it's it's so good um now you mentioned urban 40 yeah a restaurant that's been around only about a year and a half right uh they do a really good last night i was there for dinner i mean i didn't expect anything it was like they did this charcoal charred i mean this charred garlic mussels unbelievable no. I, mean, I mean i mean and, and you know in Orlando. Yeah, and that's, that's just, like I said, that's just a testament to what, you know, the offerings that we now have that we didn't have 10 years ago. You know, it's really, it's really, like I said, it's really been incredible. And then, of course, there's hotel food, which used to be an oxymoron, mm-hmm. right? It used to be, you know, steak and potatoes and room service and an old cheeseburger. And, right. And now, you know, hotels realize that it's not just an afterthought. You literally have to put some effort into it and make it really worthwhile. Absolutely. And in fact, there's a, a Norman, Norman Van Aken's restaurant. Well, I know the, Norman, yeah. Yeah. Um, he's probably arguably our, our Florida's most famous chef, and he has a restaurant, Norman's, at the Ritz-Carlton. And Norman's been on this show many times. Yeah. Oh, hasn't he? Oh, Great. yeah. Yeah. And he's... And by the way, I'm a, not, I'm a non-meat eater, but his foie gras mm-hmm. at that restaurant... Oh, my God. <laughs> now, how would I know that if I'm not a... Well, uh, something happened. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, a, yeah, little, yeah maybe a little, little lapse. A little lapse, yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. hard to get bad foie gras, I guess, you know, but... Um, uh, that's not true. Yeah? Have you had bad foie? I have. Have I had bad <laughs> foie? <laughs> <laughs> so pretentious. Man. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> but anyway, uh, me, my wife and I always have our anniversary dinner at, at Norman's at the Ritz Carlton. So, you know, we have no, no aversion to going to a hotel and dining on really good fare. And, you know, you've got Bull and Bear here, which I, I, I right. hang at that place. Mm-hmm. And, based, and they've got great seafood. Great vegetarian offerings at they, Bull and Bear. They here. actually do. <laughs> no, they've got some great seafood. Good. Yeah. Oh, okay. So you're a pescatarian. I am a pescatarian. Okay. Bet. I'm not totally crazy. Because okay. <laughs> if I was totally crazy, I'd be whispering like this and could have some more kale. Yeah. Look a little more pale. Okay. Let me ask you this. Was the word gluten even in our vocabulary six years ago? Yeah, really. It, it, I don't think it was. Yeah. 
But you know, you know that's also another trend. You know, we restaurateurs. But yeah, you talk about trend. People I know who are totally healthy are just. I like the gluten free. Really, right. what does gluten free mean? I don't know. I just want it. Yeah. yeah. There's people with legitimate. I mean, they oh, have absolutely. legitimate allergies. Absolutely. Yeah. And uh, but yeah, it it has sort of become a bit of a trend. Um, I don't know if that's a good or bad thing, but you know, restaurateurs have to be even more aware of of, of allergies um, that their customers have be it, you know, gluten or nuts or chili peppers like my wife has. Um, and, and that's another trend. I'm, we're, I think we're finding that a lot, of, a lot of ingredients, a lot of foods that weren't typically served spicy are right. now being served spicy, which I love. You know, I, right. I love chili peppers. Um, I think so that's another trend I'm finding. You know, Here's that, a trend. Asterisks all over the menus. To just probably try to protect the restaurant and also inform you that maybe you don't want to order that. Right, or, yeah. You know. and, and we have to understand this is still a business. You know, as much as we talk about, uh, uh, you know, sh- or we look cast dispersions on chefs that have like 12 restaurants and, you know, and how do they maintain the quality? You know, it, it's, still, it's still very much a business. All right, well, let's talk about where you like to hang out. Because I'm one of those people who says, okay, if you're going to come to Orlando, you should rent a car. Because if you're just going to stay on a theme park property, you're disenfranchising yourself from all this other opportunity that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. So in a given, let's say, 25-mile radius of where we are right now, if you're going to stay at the Waldorf Astoria for you know five or six nights, you're going to eat at one of the restaurants here at least once or twice. And why wouldn't you? Mm-hmm. Right? Makes sense. Right. And the, and the food's great. So mm-hmm. now let's get off the property. And where would you go for breakfast, lunch, or dinner that may not be in the brochure, that may not be in the guidebook that you hang out at? Yeah, you know, I, you know, I'll always grab. I mean, I, I go out to eat a lot, obviously, for you know, for what I do. But for the places I like to hang out at, I, I'm looking for comfort. And for me, comfort isn't necessarily, uh, you know, Southern comfort. For me, like I would go to the, to Mariah for for her falafel or her for veggie her veggie plate, you know, uh, her grape leaves and her uh, kibbe and her unbelievable labne. Or I would go to um, to, to a place like Shiraz Market that serves Persian fare inside this little, you know, I guess Persian bodega. And they have the most incredible kubade kebabs. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite desserts of all time is this Iranian Persian dessert called falude, which is essentially iced frozen vermicelli served in uh, this sort of rose syrup and with a lot of sugar. And you usually have it with a little squeeze of lime. It's incredible. You know, it kind of you know, you know, some people love it and some people hate it, but I just Wait, love it. And I'm not even around. What, so what you just described sounds almost like a contradiction in terms. Uh, of comfort food or, or? Just in terms of the ingredients. Yeah, yeah. You, you wouldn't think that lime and rose water and iced vermicelli would work, but, you know, it's it's incredible. And you can have it with a pistachio ice cream. Of, which, oh, well, 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 so for me, that's all comfort. No, no. It's pistachio ice cream with all the other stuff on the side. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, actually, I like more more follow day and well, actually I like equal equal. Come on, too. You yeah, that, that, it is incredible too. Um, so I, that's where I, that's what I gravitate towards. Sing's Roti Shop for for some Trinidadian roti. So I'm going for that. To me, is my comfort food. Having grown up on on you know Indian food all my life, you know I sort of gravitate towards those sorts of flavors. You know, um, a fried chicken to me, while I love it to me isn't as comforting or, or meatloaf for example Although the fried chicken at the bull and bear is pretty good yeah and i don't know that for a fact because i'm not eating it but everybody right. tells me that. that's what you hear that's the a, word on the street i've heard yeah i've heard word i've heard <laughs> heard things yeah or as robert de niro said i heard stuff i heard, right. I heard stuff <laughs> heard stuff yeah korean fried chicken too that's another big popular korean fried chicken Korean fried chicken in orlando in, in orlando yeah you a lot of there's a lot of places that now serve it so 
there's there you know that's another trend i guess you know japanese fare pan asian fare uh street food you know asian type street food be it uh, hawker style fare that you get in malaysia or singapore or um, bao or uh, ramen and or, so many great small restaurants in the strip malls that you didn't even know about till you got there Right, yeah. Sometimes, you know, you you know, you have to like just go out and explore and I had to do a lot of that when I first moved here. But now, you know, a lot of these restaurants just tend to find you. Uh, you know, we live in this age of social media, so it's very easy to, you know, pick up on what what the, you know, most popular uh, or trending restaurant is amongst those, you know, food conscious millennials. Hello and welcome to Alaska Flight 438. We'd like to tell you now about some important safety features of this aircraft. The most important safety feature we have aboard this plane is the flight attendants. Please look at one now. Most people who come to Orlando know about the theme parks, they know about Disney, they know about Universal. These are on, you know, huge tracts of land and have been around for, you know, 30, 35 years in many cases or longer. I'm, I'm dating myself now, but there's a 79-acre tract of land that's a different kind of resort, and it's right here in Central Florida that provides an amazing service for people who really need a special kind of vacation. And it's an opportunity for you to get involved as well. And joining me now is the person who runs something called Give Kids the World, Pamela Landworth. Pamela, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Peter. You heard my introduction. This is a different kind of resort. It absolutely is. It's a nonprofit resort that is a destination for children with life-threatening illnesses whose one wish is to come experience all the magic that you mentioned, Disney Universal or SeaWorld. But you provide accommodations? We provide accommodations, meals, the attraction tickets, and all of that for the entire family for a week, completely cost-free to the family. The resorts obviously get involved? Yes, ab- absolutely. So we're very blessed. Disney Universal SeaWorld provide all the tickets at no cost to the family. Um, so it's a complete week for them to get away from that routine of doctor visits, medical treatments, et cetera, just to a fantasy week. I mean, we've heard of, of organizations that do this, all this kind of great work in different ways, like Make-A-Wish mm-hmm. and Starlight. And- absolutely. They, are, they send their children to us. So approximately 50% of all children with a life-threatening illness, their wish is to come here to Central Florida, and we're the destination. So we partner with Make-A-Wish and Dream Factory and all those wonderful wish-granting organizations. How long have you been doing this? Well, we just celebrated our 31st anniversary in March, and to date we've served 153,000 families from all 50 states and 76 countries around the world. It's going to sound like a stupid question, but how do the families find you? They find us through those wish-granting organizations. So once a child is diagnosed with a life-threatening illness... So you're dealing directly with those organizations? Absolutely. And they, and they then arrange... Absolutely. They, they send their families to us. What have been some of your biggest surprises? Because when I go to a Disney, um, you know, Disney World or, or Universal, I mean, you know, there are long lines. I mean, you know, there, there's, there's that crush. There's, there, there are always the crowds. Mm-hmm. How do you navigate that? Because you're dealing with kids who've got special needs. Well, again, the parks come to the rescue. They are so wonderful. When the children come to the village, they're given a button, a Give Kids World button. And we don't tell them this because we like for it to be a surprise, but they do get moved to the front of all of those lines so they don't have to wait in those long lines. Because you're right, they're medically fragile usually in many cases, and they just can't have that stamina. Are there, I'm going to ask maybe as sort of a sensitive question, are there kids you can't take? No, we absolutely, in the 31 years, we've never turned down a child as long as the doctor says that they have a, a life-threatening condition and they're able to travel, then we will accept them. Now, I'm assuming that, this is a big assumption, but I'm assuming their parents at one point in their life had come down here? 
Oh, yeah, it's the entire family that no, comes. No, no, say no. At one point in the parents' life, they had come down here themselves. So that you're 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 reintroducing your your child to that experience. Well, unfortunately, most of the families have never had the opportunity to travel together before. So that so this is, is a first on every absolutely level. Absolutely, a first for these families, and so it's so overwhelming. It's just a great experience for them. And when you say accommodations, how many rooms do you have down there? We have 168 villas, and that is a two-bedroom, two-bath, complete with a kitchen. So the family garden. stays together, Absolutely. they cook together, they... Well, they, they can cook, but yeah. we provide all their meals, too. So it's just a very small kitchen in case they want to do some quick things. But we provide breakfast, lunch, dinner, have an ice cream palace that's open from 7.30 in the morning until 9.30 at night. So if they want a banana split for breakfast, lunch, dinner... Bedtime snack. An ice cream palace. You know, there yes. are lessons other resorts can learn from this. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> What's been your biggest surprise in terms of the, the children you, and the families you've been able to help? You know, I think um, they're so grateful for everything. And I think the, the, the biggest surprise is the power of the volunteer. Um, because we, we rely on our volunteers to make this experience possible for the families. Because it's one thing, let's be honest, it's one thing for the theme park to say, great, we'll get you in. Right. And we can get you to the front of the line. And we already have the ride. They're already here. They're already operating. But it's the staffing. Absolutely. So, you know, we have, again, a 79-acre village with 168. So we're running a 168-room resort, which requires housekeeping and maintenance. So we have 175 full and part-time staff. We have over 18,000 active volunteers. We fill 1,800 volunteer shifts every week. Website? www.givekidstheworld.org. Should there be a rapid change in cabin pressure, oxygen masks will automatically drop from the compartment above your seat, free of charge. And to start the flow of oxygen, pay your flight attendant $75.63. Saving the best for last. He's been with this hotel since they opened back in 2009. Hard to believe this hotel's already been open for eight years. Amazing. I'm dating myself on this one. He's the executive chef right here at the Waldorf Astoria. Bernard Fiemeyer, how are you, sir? Good. Good morning. Um, I'm very well today. Well, you know what? That makes two of us. But here's my question. In the eight years you've been here, um, you know, there are certain things you, you put on a menu when you get to a hotel that you, that you think that people want. And you put things on the menu that you think they're going to like. And you find out very quickly, maybe they don't want that. They want something else. And you learn from that trial and error. Uh, and all of a sudden, you're able to refine your menu. You're able to put it together. Uh, how many restaurants here at the hotel? We have uh, 13 outlets, 13 restaurants. We serve a wide variety of food uh, between uh, La Luce, authentic Italian uh, food, and uh, our steakhouse, Bullen Bay, with uh, you know, the best steak in town. And uh, now we have, uh, you know, highlight of Zeta Asian cuisine, uh, where we serve sushi, of course, but a wide variety of Asian food. Um, well, you talk about the bull and bear. If, 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 uh, if the truth be told, I go back to the days of Manny Bellete. And uh, when he was running the bull and bear, we had a lot of fun there. I mean, they really, and, and by the way, if you are an aficionado, as I am of uh, single malt, uh, he had quite a list. Oh, yes, a great list of whiskey and, uh, you know, um, Bourbon, and uh, yes, uh, Mani was uh, the one we started all, and uh, you know, we now, of course, we follow his lead, and uh, we even, uh, you yeah. know. Let's hope he's listening to the show, because you just gave yes. him a nice compliment. Yes, he was a great guy. He's a great guy, you know. We're missing something. Now, here's my question. What did you put on the menu that you thought everybody was going to love, and nobody ordered it? And then what did you put on the menu that you thought, 
no one's going to want this, and everybody loved it. Um, we had, uh, you know, try um, uh, caviar or foie gras, and um, you know, nobody wanted caviar. I'll take uh, this ca- caviar. It's it's very, uh, you know. Um, not so many people order that in the steakhouse, and uh, we find uh, you know the classics and uh, revisited. But you know we we were amazed uh, the way people uh, welcome our fried chicken, Boulenberg fried chicken. You know, first when we said uh, we're going to wait, go fried, fried chicken. Yes, sir. You know, we we were you know. Um, of course, people was like surprised, and you know, wow, you know, you fried chicken and bouillon bear. But you know what though? But when people, I'll give you two words that drive me nuts. Okay, fine dining, and like I want to eat in your crappy dining room, right? So the thing is, but when you mention fried chicken, that doesn't necessarily <clears throat> sync up with fine yeah, dining. Yeah, you're right. You know, and uh, you know, we, we we took the challenge, and uh, we did the best fried chicken in town, and uh, now people are coming just for that. And you would be amazed when you have it. You know, how different it is and uh, same time you recognize what is uh, you know the fried chicken on it but uh, same time you're surprised of course and, you know and that's what we're all about you know uh, quality ingredient and uh, freshness and, and surprise you know but you know the challenge that you have in a hotel like this is because you have individual travelers you have fit guys you've got a lot of meetings and conventions you've got to cater to all of that yes sir you know and uh, you know those variety but at the end of the day Everybody's looking for good food. Um, and when we say good food is a quality ingredient, we have the passion to make it the best we, we should. Okay, so now I've got to ask you the question. It's the kid's question I always ask. Please tell me you don't have chicken fingers on the menu. Uh, oh, wait a minute, you do? Eventually, we, oh. uh, you know, we, we, we cater to everybody. So um, <laughs> we, it's not on the menu, but if you ask for it, we will Oh, good, it's it. not but, on the menu. But it's you not. need to try the fried chicken. And then, no, I've got, then I got the fried chicken down, but... In terms of kids' menus, I, not many hotels get adventurous about that. They just put in, you know, the grilled cheese sandwich, the chicken fingers, and that's it. Yeah, but, you know, our um, you know, manager, Rafael, um, you know, always, uh, you know, advise the guests to try those, those uh, dishes, you know, fried chicken or filet or steak. But if the kids uh, want a hot you, dog, you have a hot dog. Yes, we, we will do. And you do. Yes. Uh, you, you do a lot of hot dogs. Oh, yeah, of course, yeah. <laughs> you know. But you know what? That's but, a secret. You know, it's, it's good to try something else, and uh, you know what we offer is amazing. So when you try it, you know, you, you know, you come back for it. Yes, you do, and that's what brings you back if the food's good. Yes, sir. Bernard Fimeyer, the executive chef of the Waldorf Astoria, and you know what? Even though they'll do it for you, don't order the chicken fingers. You've been listening to Peter Greenberg Worldwide. Catch us each week as we broadcast from a new location somewhere around the world. Hey, Prime members, Peter Greenberg here. You can listen to Ion Travel ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, and you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts. And before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at Wondery.com. Hey, it's Matt Norlander with the CBS Sports Eye on College Basketball podcast, and it is tournament time, people. So listen to the one podcast that will cover every upset, Cinderella, Bracket Buster Sleeper. We've got it all covered, every round, reaction shows, all the way up through the championship game in Glendale, Arizona. To find us, search Eye on College Basketball podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Pura the most pristine, 
safe, climate-stable city on Earth. A haven amidst the wreckage. Here, you're safe from heat domes, superstorms, water bandits in the Outer Lands. There's no crime in Pura. No murder, no suicide. And best of all, there's no cost to join us. In Pura, we promised to keep you safe. They killed her! You took everything! In a world that doesn't feel so safe anymore, we're waiting for you. Here, in Pura. The Last City is a new scripted audio drama from Wondery. Enjoy The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City right now, ad-free, on Wondery Plus. Get started with your free trial at wondery.com slash plus.